Hey everybody, it's so good to be with you today. My name is Jason Williver. I'm the directing pastor at Crossroads. Thanks for tuning in. This is week four in our message series, I Believe, where we are looking at the Apostles' Creed just a little bit at a time. Now, before we get into uh, this final section of the Jesus section of the Creed today, I want to read with you a passage from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Now, the book of Acts is the second of a two-volume set of books, both written by a physician from the first century named Luke. And the first volume is called Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And it talks about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The second volume is the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. Now, Luke shares uh, uh, till the end of Jesus' life and his resurrection, and then Acts picks up right where Luke left off. And it appears that the research that went into the writing of Luke and Acts was funded by a wealthy benefactor named Theophilus. And so you'll notice the reference to him. But hear these words from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, from the English Standard Version. Luke writes, In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Open the eyes of our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful. Kindle in us the fire of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. So is it just me, or does it seem like they keep coming up with new holidays every year? When I was a kid, you had two chances a year for all your dreams to be coming true. The first was Christmas, the second was your birthday. But now they've added National Sons Day, National Daughters Day, National Women's Day, National Siblings Day. And I usually don't find out about these until someone posts on Facebook that yesterday was some great holiday and I missed it. And they just keep coming. Now, tomorrow is a very appropriate holiday and that is Memorial Day, where we pause and honor those who gave the ultimate sacrifice to our country. But that's a good one, and not all are of equal merit. For example, did you know that May 15th was National Sea Monkeys Day? And May 20th was Be a Millionaire Day. And just so you're ready, a May 2nd, I'm sorry, June 2nd coming up is National Bubba Day. And the second Friday in June is National 
flip-flop day. They just keep coming, don't they? Don't want to miss out on flip-flop day. But there was an important Christian holy day, which took place this last week, which you might have missed if you weren't paying close attention. And that is Ascension Day. Ascension Day always takes place 40 days after Easter. And Ascension Day is the celebration of the day that Jesus ascended back to heaven after completing his earthly ministry through his life, death, and resurrection. And it's the ascension that we come to, that we arrive at in the Apostles' Creed today. Now, we're coming again, again, as I said before, to the last section of the Jesus section of the Creed. So far, we've seen that we Christians believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead. And today we're looking at the passage which says, He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. So the creed tells us, after completing his earthly ministry, he went up, he sat down, and he's coming back. Let's look at each of these. First, he went up. It says he ascended to heaven. And this is what Acts was telling about. Acts chapter 1 verse 9. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. Now the ascension of Jesus is very important to Christians for a number of reasons. Let me give you three things that the ascension means. First, the ascension was the end of an era. Uh, Bible commentator William Barclay points out that it was very important that there was an official ending to Jesus's post-resurrection time on earth. As it says in Acts 1, over a period of 40 days, he appeared over and over to his disciples, giving them many convincing proofs that he was alive. How unhelpful would it have been if the appearances of Jesus post-resurrection had just petered out? If people just quit seeing him? If he just stopped showing up to Sunday dinners? You know, people would still be thinking that they were seeing him. They would think they would see him at like shopping malls or at airports. People would still be looking for him like they look for Elvis sightings, right? It was important that there was a definite ending to his post-resurrection time on earth. The ascension was the official leaving from earth in the eyes of the disciples who spent time with him after he rose from the dead. Second, the ascension of Christ was his promotion by the Father. It was his exaltation to the seat of utter lordship over all things. Paul wrote in Philippians 2 that because Jesus became human and was obedient even to the point of death, it says, therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above all names, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The ascension is considered to be a continuation of the vindication of Jesus, just as his resurrection had been. Paul says in Ephesians 1, verses 20 through 22, that God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
So, you know, recently there have been a number of graduations among people in our congregation. People graduating from eighth grade into high school. People graduating from high school into whatever comes next. People graduating from college into whatever comes next. People graduating with their doctorates. Now, the graduation ceremony is an event which signals a promotion from one status to the next. When you graduate eighth grade, right? It's a, a, an official ceremony where you're promoted then to the status of high school student. When you graduate from high school, you're promoted to adulthood, right? <laughs> to the era where you have to get a job and help contribute to society financially, right? <laughs> well, you know, sometimes that doesn't come too much later, but that's the whole idea. You're, you're in a new state now. Jesus' ascension was his graduation, sort of. It was promotion. It was a time when he was seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He was named as Lord over all. Third, the ascension preceded the sending of the Holy Spirit. As his disciples were grieving the fact that Jesus would be leaving them, he told them it was actually to their advantage. He said in John chapter 16, verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Talking about the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now next week, we're going to be celebrating another important Christian holy day, and that is Pentecost. Pentecost is the day 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, 10 days after the ascension of Jesus, when Jesus and the Father poured out the Holy Spirit on all who had called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The same Holy Spirit that came upon Jesus at his baptism by John and empowered him to live a sinless life and to do all the miracles and to teach the word of God and to do all these wonderful things. Jesus said that that Holy Spirit, after he ascended, would come and fill all of God's people who would call upon his name. But if there was no ascension, there would be no descension of the Holy Spirit. But since he did ascend, he rained down the Holy Spirit like a fire hydrant coming open in heaven, pouring down fresh living water from God on all who would drink of it. The Holy Spirit's power and love and self-control is available for you and me. We can be filled with God the same way Jesus was. The kind of visualization I had of this was of one of those fireworks that we see on the 4th of July. You know, the quiet ones that shoot straight up in the sky and they just keep going higher and higher and higher and it seems like they disappear, but then they burst open and all these streams of light, dozens of streams of light come flowing down beautifully. And then those sometimes explode into even more um, rays of light streaming down. And that's kind of what the ascension was. He ascended out of sight and then 10 days later, he rained down the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that was only in him now comes to live in all of us. But then the creed says, after he ascended into heaven, he sat down. It says, he sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. This points to the fact that Jesus is now seated at the place of highest authority, reigning supreme over all things. That's where he's at right now. He's in the seat of ultimate governance. Look how the writer of Hebrews describes this in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. He says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. 
The sun is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And the sun upholds the universe by the power of his word. After making purification for our sins, that's what we talked about last week through his suffering, the sun sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So not only is Christ Lord over people, he is now seated as Lord over everything, over every physical and every spiritual being, angel, demon, even Satan himself must submit to the Lord. And what is Jesus doing as he's taking his seat at the right hand of God the Father? Is he now in retirement? Is he just kind of enjoying life? You know, it was hard work down here on earth. Is he now just kicking back, catching up on all the shows that he missed, which are now cataloged on Netflix for him to enjoy at leisure? Is he watching all the baseball games that are going on all at the same time? You know, maybe he's doing that. Well, the scriptures actually say that he's still at work. It actually says, again, in um, Acts chapter 1, that in the first book of Luke, Luke says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up. His earthly ministry was just the beginning of his ministry. He continues his ministry now. Three things he's doing. One, he's reigning as king right now. He is upholding the universe by the power of his word. He's sitting as the seated head of the church, which is his body on earth. This is why we as Christians and we as a church, we must be continually seeking leadership from Jesus, insight from Jesus, his direction for our lives as individuals and as a church, because he is the head of the church. We shouldn't be going off on our own. He is deploying angels all over the world to minister to people, to fight spiritual battles. And he's available to lead and direct all of us who seek his leadership through the leading of his Holy Spirit and through the leading of his word. Second, as he's seated, he is interceding for us. Now let me venture into something that you may not have thought about before, so just kind of sit back and relax and open your mind to this idea. One of Jesus's roles on behalf of the human race is to be our high priest. The high priest under Jewish law was the one who would enter into the Holy of Holies in the temple. Once a year, the high priest would go into the place, the innermost chambers of the temple, where the Ark of the Covenant was, which was seen to be the throne of God on earth. And the the high priest would go in to offer atonement for the sins of the people. Okay? Well, the scriptures teach that Jesus is now the high priest. Those high priests foreshadowed Jesus, who went in to the Holy of Holies as our high priest, representing us to God, interceding for us. And the sacrifice of atonement that he offered was his own body, the innocent, infinite Son of God, who gave himself to atone for our sins. Look at how it's described in Hebrews 7. It says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
This means that we can also plunge into the throne room of God because our sins have been atoned for and Christ is there interceding for us. We are encouraged to come into the Holy of Holies ourselves in prayer with confidence as children of God. This is why it says in Hebrews 4, Therefore, since we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet who did not sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can come before God boldly in prayer and receive help and healing and grace and power from God because Jesus is interceding for us constantly. A third thing he's doing is waiting. It says in Hebrews 10, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Jesus is reigning, and he's interceding, and he's waiting. He's waiting for the day when he will return, and he is also waiting for the church, you and me, to bring others into the family of God. He's waiting for you and me to get the word out to all nations about how we can all be forgiven and come into God's family through repentance and faith in the Son. The creed says he went up, he sat down, and that he's coming back. The Jesus section of the creed closes with, from thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. This is exactly what the angels said Jesus, to Jesus' disciples just after he ascended into heaven. Acts 1 verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Human history as we know it will one day come to a sudden and cataclysmic end when Jesus from his throne in heaven returns in the full force of heaven's armies and he comes and he raises the dead and he judges the living and the dead. And he will bless and reward those who have submitted to him, and he will release those who have decided not to become a part of his family. And he will usher in the new heaven and the new earth. As Jesus said in Matthew 25, speaking of himself and his return, he said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep at his right and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those at his right, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So hundreds of books have been written. Movies have been made about when Jesus will return, what events must take place before he returns, how exactly it will happen, what it will look like. And we don't have time to go too far into that today. But let me just tell you three things that will happen when Christ returns. First, he will render judgment. He will render justice. You know, there are so many things in our world 
they just make us cry out, how long, O oh Lord? How long will you let this continue? People are still being sold into slavery and being taken advantage of. Children are being abused. People are being killed. And we say, how long, O oh Lord, till you put a stop to all this? Nations warring against nations. All of these things. How long, O oh Lord, till justice takes place? Well, we can rest assured that since the beginning of human history, no good deed has gone unnoticed and no evil thought, word, or deed has gone unnoticed. And when Christ returns, he will render justice. It says in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. And yes, all those who have appeared to get away with, be getting away with heinous crimes, they will not get away with anything. And all of us are going to be held accountable for every thought, word, or deed that we've done as well. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. A second thing that's going to happen is that he's going to reward believers. It's the great relief that we can all count on as we look forward to judgment day is that we have already accepted Christ's payment for our sins. Our sins were paid for by the blood of the Son of God. The judge himself rendered his body as payment for our sins, payment for anyone who would accept him. And that's what it says in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And not only do we not need to fear condemnation on that day, but Jesus even said we can expect rewards. You know, we're not expected to be perfect. We are expected to be faithful in our service to Jesus after we've been forgiven and accepted into his family. And Jesus talks about how some will be rewarded to greater degrees than others. Those who are faithful in the midst of hardship and persecution will receive the greatest reward. As he said in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, on my, my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. From the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Faithfulness will be rewarded on that day. Third, he will release the unrepentant. Notice the words of Jesus that he said to those who reject his offer of forgiveness. Matthew 25, 41 says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Who was hell prepared for? The devil and his angels. That mighty archangel, Lucifer, who rebelled against God and led many angels with him in a demonic force to oppose God and his people. God has prepared a place for them, apart from God's people where they cannot wreak havoc anymore for the rest of eternity. And so they will be banished once and for all to the lake of fire. But also, what of people who do not want to submit to the lordship of Jesus forever and refuse to acknowledge their guilt and accept his forgiveness? He says they will be released to also go with their lord, the devil, to the place that was prepared for him. But alas, this is not the desire of God to send anyone to hell. His desire is that all would be rescued 
and saved. In fact, this is the reason that Christ hasn't returned yet. When he comes to finally establish justice, that will be the end of the opportunity for people to accept his offer of atonement and forgiveness. And that's why it says in 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow about his promise to return, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be destroyed with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, he says, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and destroyed and the elements will melt with fire. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. Now, I know I've thrown a whole lot at you today, so let me just give you three phrases in summary. Relax, reach up, and be ready. The first is to relax. Relax just a little bit. Keep fighting for what's right, but relax knowing that our man is on the throne. We don't put our hope in governors or presidents or United Nations committees. We put our hope in Jesus, who rose victorious from the grave, who holds all the power in the universe. Relax a little bit, knowing that he is right now working all things together for your good, knowing that no evil goes unnoticed, knowing that he will render judgment in his time. Relax knowing that he is in control. Be still and know that he is God. Number two is reach up. We can come boldly before the throne of our King who is seated at the right hand of God the Father. We may receive mercy and grace to help us in our times of need. He is sympathetic with our weaknesses. He himself was tempted. You know, a lot of people have a hard time praying for themselves. They pray for other people a lot, but they don't feel like they should pray for themselves. We're called to pray for ourselves, for mercy in our challenges, for God's grace, for God's Holy Spirit's strength. Reach up to God in your time of need for yourself, for your strength, for your encouragement. He loves to strengthen those who reach up to him. That's why David said in Psalm 62 verse 8, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. Finally is be ready. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Be faithful with the time that you have left. Live lives of holiness and godliness. Hasten the day of his return by letting as many people that you know, know about the grace of God that's available to forgive and to strengthen and to fill with power all who would repent and turn to him. Let's pray now. Dear Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you are on the throne even when it feels like things are out of control. Help us, Lord, to be filled with your power and your confidence in the midst of crazy times. Lord God, we pray that you would strengthen those in Texas who lost loved ones this past week. Pray that you would bless our country, Lord. Strengthen our economy. Lord, we pray for resolve in the Ukraine. Lord, we pray for 
you to vindicate those who are in, in the right. Lord God, we pray for life. Pray for life in our country. Pray for all these things in the name of Jesus. And we pray the prayer that he taught us as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us join in declaring what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.